Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. I just remember when I was a kid, I liked cookie dough. And I still, to this day, like cookie dough. I think cookie dough is my Achilles heel. And if you are making cookies and I'm not going to eat the cookie, I'm going to eat the cookie dough. And I remember, I think I was a teenager a little bit, maybe 12, 13, something like that, maybe around there. And so I remember my mom just making cookies, didn't she? Make them very often for this very reason. Because I wasn't helping her in the kitchen. I was digging in the bowl. And even if she bought the like pre-made stuff, I didn't care. I was eating it. And so I began to just eat it and I'd, you know, I'd be like a little kid, you know, come back, get a ball and then you go back. I'd do whatever I was doing, come back. And believe it or not, I have children that do the same thing. So I'm, I'm eating it. And then one day she looks at me and goes, Joe. I said, yes. She goes, you know, if you continue to eat cookie dough, you're going to get worms. Okay. Walk off. Right. So I don't have worms, never got worms, still don't have worms. Come on, mom. Really? And so I just remember, um, and now I, I actually looked it up yesterday. Can you really get worms from cookie dough? The answer is no. The only thing I found was this, that you have raw eggs and flour, which can cause bacteria and can give you a stomach infection. Boo-hoo, don't worry, I'm still good, right? So my mom would say certain things, and here's what she also said to my brother. If my brother was standing here today, she'd say, Mom, do you remember when I, when I was little? And she says, yeah. And do you remember what you said to me? No, enlighten me. Here's what my brother would say. Mom, you told me that if I got kisses that I'd grow taller. She goes, yes, I sure did. And he goes, why? I mean, it's such a lie, Mom. Why would you do that? He goes, because you would never let me be affectionate with you. And so my mom had all these things. And I mean, you know, if you're a parent, you do the same thing, right? I stick out my hand out the car. She says, don't do that. A car will take your arm off. So I didn't do that growing up. I mean, my mom has all these things. And I can guarantee you, you go back. You can go back to your mom and she says certain things. Your dad says certain things. Maybe your brother, your older brother would say certain things that you wouldn't get in trouble, right? And so we as parents, if you're a parent, we say things that stretch the truth, don't we? Because we don't want our kids to go back into trouble. We, won't, we don't want them to do certain things. I remember, you know, my kids are younger. It's like, don't go in the street, period. Right? It was kind of like an exaggeration. Just don't go in the street. And it's kind of like... You know, they kind of just would stop. And so we, we have this idea as parents, we can stretch the truth so we can protect our children. But the, the reality is, is this, we end up growing up and we're like my brother and like me, like, mom, really? Why did you say that? Like, are you kidding me? And moms and dads and brothers, we all have um, reasons, but we grow up and our perspective changes and life changes. And we go, well, that's not so bad for us. And that was just, I can't believe they said that. And, but the truth is this, that we can continue to have this idea, and it especially happens with God, that kind of our view of God changes. Now, let me tell you this. If you ever went to church, if you grew up in church like I did, if you've been to a church service once or twice, you know that they speak about the Word and they speak about the Bible. And the thing about the Bible is when you're a little kid, they try to make it interesting. Right? They try to make it like so great and so fun. And oh, did you hear the story of, you know, Jacob and Esau? And Jacob tricked Esau. 
And did you hear the story about Noah? Oh my gosh, there was this big flood and God made this flood and he had to build this ark. Right? And then David, David was a little shepherd boy and he took out this nine foot giant, right? Hit him between the eyes, killed him. They're like, yeah. Right? And then you, you go and you have Joseph, the guy, the guy with the many colors. I, I can remember it and picture it to this day. If, you, if you've been in church a long time, you know exactly what I'm talking about, those flannel boards. And the lady would go, oh, look, it's Joseph. And he had like a brown coat. And she'd go, oh, look, now he's got a full coat. It's colors. And I just remember just doing that and walking out. Because here's the thing. They want you to have the Bible impact your life and be practical in your life. And as a little kid, you made it interesting. But here's the thing. You grow up and you go, well, wait a second. That's not the full story. And if you read your Bible, here's what you begin to understand. Here's what you begin to see. You begin to see that Jacob actually tricked Esau. And Esau wanted to kill him and have revenge on him. And so he runs for years and years and years, and Esau's trying to kill him. I bet you don't know the story, the rest of the story of Noah. I'm going to lighten you here. Okay? Noah gets off the ark, and Noah has a little bit too much to drink. And Noah gets drunk. See, you should really read your Bible. Good stuff in there. He gets drunk. And then you have David. And you probably know this. Man after God's own heart, but ends up being a murderer and an adulterer. And then you have Joseph. Yeah, he had many colors, but one day he forgot his many colors. He forgot his cloak when that lady wanted to continually sleep with him. And he said no. And she wore him down, tried to wear him down. And she grabbed his cloak, and he ran out naked. See, when you're a kid, they don't tell you those stories. The reason they don't tell you stories is because they're not PG, right? They don't want you going home and say, hey, Mom, guess what I learned at church today? Jake, uh, Joseph ran around naked. What? Like, come on. So you, you have these stories, and, and here's the thing. You can look at the Bible, and sometimes we look at the Bible and go, well, does God change? Because when I was a kid, I knew this story, and now that's not the full story. And, and when you look at the Scripture, here's the thing about the Scripture. You look at the Old Testament, and some of you have done this, and you look at this, and there's this tension that builds with inside of you that you see God as an uncompassionate, angry, vengeful God, and he's not merciful. And then you look at the New Testament, you go, oh my gosh, this Jesus. Oh, wow, God is just amazing. He's compassionate, and he loves people, and he is gracious, and he heals people. Oh my gosh. And you look at it, and there's this tension that you have, and this conflict. And the tension is this. Is God really the same? Because I grew up knowing something, and as I get to, to, to understand the Scripture and I get older, my belief in God can change. And I kind of feel like he's this different person. And there's that, that's a tension to wrestle with. Because in, in the one hand, God is seemingly like that. And he does get angry. And in the one sense, he loves humanity and he hates sin. And so you're kind of thinking, well, yeah, he loves people, but he, he's still a hateful God. Yeah, he's hateful for the sin. And kind of you, you have this whole idea and you, this, there's this thing and, and it's in with inside you. And you just don't know what you believe. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to take all those stories, throw them out. I want you today to see this scripture in a whole new light. I want you to look at it like you've never heard the story ever. And I want you to look at it like it's for the first time and your eyes are open. Because they want to walk you through exactly God and what he does in a specific story. So with this, we're going to look at Joshua. But again, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna go a little fast forward. I'm gonna rewind. You remember those old VHS tapes? 
right? Fast forward, stop, rewind, okay? So anyways, it's kind of what we're going to do here. So we're going to look at Joshua. But before that, I want to go back all the way back to Abraham because last week we talked about Abraham. And remember, God had this on his hands. He had a mess. After Noah, they started to go back to their ways, evil in their heart, and God said, look, there's a mess here, but I'm not going to restart. I'm not going to push the button. I'm not going to remove and, and take the canvas and throw it out and start all over. He said, I'm going to start with a sinner. And I'm going to pick a spot. Like any time you have a mess, you pick a spot and you go and you start. And so he picks this sinner named Abraham. And Abraham, as you know, and we both know, that Abraham messes up once and twice and probably more times. That's not recorded in the scripture. But God doesn't opt out of his plan, does he? He's not looking for a way out. He's locked on with Abraham. This is what we're going to do. And despite Abraham's mess and despite what Abraham did, God basically said this, man has messed up and I've got to bring a a redemption and I've got to do it through Jesus. And I have a plan, I have a purpose, but I'm not going to stop with Abraham. It's going to begin with Abraham. And so we said this, that last week, that God cleaned up what we messed up. That that whole mess of humanity and the whole mess of all that stuff, he goes down to Abraham all the way to Jesus, and Jesus comes to be the Savior for you and I. To redeem that which was lost. To redeem that which was broken with him. And so he came, comes to that point and we have Abraham, he says, and God would say this to him. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Remember that? I'm going to make you into a great nation. And so Abraham begins to doubt. And if you remember last week, he walks out and he says, okay, Abraham, I want you to look at the stars in the sky. And I love what God says. He says, if you can even count them. I mean, just think about it. Isn't that a great picture? You see the sky. I mean, you can see stars, but imagine the whole star, the whole sky, excuse me, being full of stars. He says, if you can count them, that's how great your descendants will be. And so Abraham kind of goes on and he kind of continues and with his life and makes one more mistake. And then eventually he has Isaac. And Isaac, and that is kind of the start of his nation. Start of the, 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 what God is going to do. And so he begins to unfold this, these plans to Abraham, make you great. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. But here's the thing, Abraham, you're not going to start in the land you are in. Matter of fact, this nation and these descendants are going to come out of a land called Egypt. And so here's a conversation. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 12. Excuse me, 15. We were in 12 last week. We're going 15 this week. And this is the conversation that God has with Abraham. Okay, he begins to reveal what he's going to do. And here's what it says in verse 13 of chapter 15. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. All right, where do I sign up? (laughs) Right? Okay, we're going to start off a nation, and guess what? They're going to be slaves for 400 years. That sounds like a plan, doesn't it? Think about this, though. There are generations... It will go for 400 years. Think about this. I mean, just think about this if you're Abraham. And I th- you're telling me, God, you're going to start a nation, but we're going to be slaves. But wait, 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 wait. Time out. So, Lord, for 400 years, people don't live that long. So think about this. You're a generation, and you get born into slavery. You know slavery. That's all you know. You'd never get freed, and you die. Way to go. What a life. 
And that's how you're going to start the nation, God? Like, are you kidding me? They're going to be mistreated and enslaved. Again, where do I sign up? And here's the thing. So God says that, but here's, he begins to, in the next verse, say a promise. And here's the promise. He says this, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in old age. Thanks for the good news. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Thanks, God, I'm going to die. But he says the lineage and the history is going to come through and they're going to have great possessions. And it starts with Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you've ever heard that, and if you ever look at the Old Testament, you read the Old Testament, he says, they say, I am a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob has 12 boys, and the youngest is Joseph. And as the story goes, they, as you know, through unfortunate circumstances, Joseph gets sold to Egypt. And there he's in Egypt, and he, of course he has dreams, he interprets dreams. He gets up to the, to the second in command. Again, the second in command of Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with him. He says no. She accuses him. He gets thrown into jail. He gets raised again back to, to the place of honor because he, the Lord reveals a dream to Pharaoh and, and, uh, Joseph interprets it. So Joseph's in charge and he's the second in charge and there's a famine that comes throughout the land. And as the famine comes out through the land, there's not enough food, but Joseph knows that it was coming, so he stores up food. So his brothers come from, from the other place, from Canaan, and they come and they say, okay, um, we need food. And so reconciliation happens, and they begin to move back to Egypt. Now here's what happens in Egypt. So you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph and his brothers, his 11 brothers. And so Joseph's family and his 11 brothers start off small, but now at this point in Egypt, they grow to 3 million people. 3 million. It's 3 million of them, but again, they are going to be slaves because once, once Potiphar dies, he forgets Joseph, and they become slaves. So as he begins to do that, this plan begins to unfold. So we, we come to this place, and while they're doing that, the land of Canaan, the promise where, where Abraham was, and God spoke his promise, here's what's happening there. So you have slaves in Egypt, and in Canaan, here's what happens. They are pagan worshipers. They're in idolatry. The land is evil. And guess what? They are sacrificing children. Totally detestable to the Lord. And so this is all happening. Well, eventually, they... be. The Egyptians get freed by Moses, and they're moving towards. Moses dies, then you have Joshua. So as they're moving to the brink of this promised land, here's what the, the Canaanites are faced with and all these other ites. Do we move out? Do we leave? Do we fight? Or do we surrender? Do we surrender and become slaves like these Israelites were to the Egyptians? Do we do that? And so God kind of moves and he says, no, I'm going I'm to go through and, and wipe out the, the land. And he's really going to blot them out because of what they have done is detestable to him. He's going he's gonna to blot them out and he's really going to blot out the culture. But here's what he begins to say. 
in verse 16, and this is key. So he has something important to say to Abraham before even Joshua gets to the point of, of crossing into the promised land. Here's what he says to Abraham years ago, and this is very important in verse 16. He says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, which is where Abraham was in the land of Canaan. The sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. So it's important to understand this again. You have God who understands this land is so detestable. He loves humanity. He hates the sin. But he's going to try to blot out, not the people, but the culture. He eventually has to blot out the people. But I mean, think about this, though. When it comes to God, he says it's not to the full measure. It hasn't exceeded to its full measure. Their sin has not gotten to that that point. Then here's what I can see about God. I, I believe this, that he is slow when it comes to judgment. I believe God is patient when it comes to it. And I think, I don't know, it doesn't say this, but maybe God maybe gave them a chance, two chances. Maybe he gave them three chances. Maybe he they didn't know that they were sinning. I don't know. Maybe he he just gave him a chance. I don't even he might have even sent somebody. Think about this. Jonah was sent to Nineveh. That was a horrible, horrible city. And they weren't even godly. And yet God told Jonah to go to these ungodly people to give them a chance so they could turn from their wicked ways. And maybe God did that. I don't know. But I do know this that God is really patient when it comes to his judgment. Because if he wasn't, we'd all be done. We'd all be toast. So he's very, very slow. And so fast forward now. So that's what he says back to Abraham. If you fast forward the timeline, now you got Joshua who's going into the land of, of Cana, but there's only the promised land. There's one city that is standing in his way right now. That city is Jericho. Standing in his way. And so what he does is he sends out two spies, and you know this, he sends out the two spies, and the two spies are looking for this. They're looking for military information. So they are going to go, they want to know, is the, is the towers fortified? What's the military might like? And what is the morale of the people? That's why he sent them. But God has a whole different thing going on. And he will do something completely different. So they're walking and it's about seven miles from where they are camped to Jericho. So these men walk, and they're walking down, and they're, they're going, and they all of a sudden they turn south, and it, they believe that they went in east, they went in through the gates, and they kind of just walked in and just kind of were on the streets, and no one really saw them. And then they came to this lady's house who's a prostitute called Rahab. And nobody really sees them. And, and so, I mean, think about it, though. When it comes to, to Rahab, Right? Nobody would really question strangers going to a harlot's house. I'm sure it happened often. I'm sure travelers came through and went there often. And some people think maybe, you know, they just kind of followed Rahab and then followed her to her house. But whatever happened, we know that it was God's plan. Because the men that weren't there just for military information, God was going to do something great. He was going to pour out his grace on a lady and a family who didn't deserve it. And that was God's plan. So no matter how they got there, that's what his goal was. And so you come to this place. Now we're going to fast forward to Joshua chapter 2. 
And go to Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 2. And this is where the story picks up of this undeserving woman and her family. A woman who would soon, soon, excuse me, soon turn to the God of Israel. So it says this in Joshua chapter 2, verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent his message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered the house, because they have spied out the whole land. Now, when the spies were hiding, think about their disguise was not adequate. Someone found them out. And someone went to go tell the king and say, hey, king, we need to get these spies out. They're here. And we need to remove them. So he sends men to the house and says to her, what? Bring out, right? Bring out the, the men. The ones that entered your house. Now think about this. So as the scripture says, you're thinking, why didn't they just barge down the door? I mean, they have a right to, right? Every right to, they're spies. But that's not the custom. Believe it or not, they still honored the privacy of women. Didn't matter who they were. So they didn't barge down the door. So here's what happens in the next verses. So she says, but the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men hidden from them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. Verse 5, at dusk, when it came to close the city gate, they left. And I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. So again, instead of turning them over, she hides them. And I can guarantee you she might have been suspicious just like anybody else. And she hides them in the rooftop in the flasks, and what they did was they would, in harvest, they would collect these flasks, they would soak them in water for two to three weeks, and then they'd put them on the roofs to dry out because then they would use them as linen cloth. So nobody would think or assume these flasks on the roof, no one would think to even look there. I mean, it's just normal. So she hid them right then and there. And then she tells, <coughs> excuse me, and then she freely admits, hey, there were strangers in my house. But I don't know where they went, and I don't know what they've come to do. And she says, but look, the city closed, and I let them out. And you know what? If you go, you can go get them. So she sends them on a wild goose chase. Now, some of you, you're probably wrestling here, and you're going, well, wait a second. She just lied. God doesn't like lying. Says it in Proverbs that is one of the things that is detestable to him, a lying tongue. So how in the world <clears throat> is God okay and acceptable accept, Acceptable with this? Why is this acceptable? Well, it's not. It's still not. You're missing the point. See, some people can get so wrapped up in that she's a liar and she's horrible and she's a prostitute. Here's the thing. She lied. It's marked in Scripture. But that's not what defines her. See, you know what will define her? Rahab will be defined by her faith and not her falsehood. Say that again. She'll be defined by her faith and not her falsehood. Because years later in Hebrews, chapter 12, they talk about her faith, not her lies. And so here's what happens after all of this. 
she begins to begin to talk and describe her faith in this God of Israel. In verse 8, it says this, Before the, the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know, here it is, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and with great fear of you it has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Now first, she tells, I believe in this God, this God of Israel. Because we've heard the stories. We've heard of the Red Sea, parting of the Red Sea. We know our neighbors, the Amorites, were destroyed by you guys. We understand that this fight is over. We don't have a chance to win. And it's because of who's on your side, and that's God. The God of Israel and his power is with you. And she realizes that and says, okay, we don't have a chance. And then secondly, she divulges information that every spy is like music to your ears. We are scared. We are scared and we are fearful. We're afraid. We're afraid for what's going to happen. And the reason why we're afraid is because we know who your God is and we can know what he's done. And it is music to their ears because now they know that the land God has given them. And so it, it continues. And, and here's what it says in verse 11. Because now she believes, but here she begins to declare her faith. She says, when we heard it in our hearts, melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. Listen to this. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She responds to the word that she heard and she receives. She trusts in God's power and his might, puts his faith in him, and he shows her mercy. Now, here's the thing. You're like, okay, well, God shows her grace and he shows her mercy. Well, why didn't she change right away? All right? I mean, but here's the thing about change. Change can happen instantly, and I'm sure something happened in her heart, but change also happens gradually. Think about it. You're not spiritually mature overnight, are you? It's a gradual movement. So give the lady a break. I mean, she probably gradually changed. I mean, think about it. She, she, yeah, there's something happened in her heart, but there's something that happened over a period of time, and we'll talk about that with, with Rahab. See, again, she goes and she pursues him, and the goal is, hey, 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 guess what? We need to make a pact, and we need to make a kindness agreement. The word is hesed, and it's kindness. And she says, we need to make a, 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 an agreement because I was so kind to you. I want you to be kind to me. And here's what she says. I'm concerned about my family. Will you just save my family? And here's what they said. Don't tell a soul what we've came to do. If you tell a soul, this agreement we're about to make is off. And so she says, okay, um, so what about my family? And they say this. When we come and we attack the walls and we attack the city of Jericho, if your family is in your home and if you let down that that cord, that scarlet cord down the tower, down the wall, excuse me, down the wall that you let us through. If we see that out your window, we will not attack you. And your family is with you, you will be safe. But if your family is out on the streets doing what they want to do, here's what they said to her. Your family's blood is on your hands. And again, if you tell anyone, you will be destroyed. 
And the great, amazing thing is she says, okay, she lets him down through the, the wall and she says, okay, go to the hills, stay there for three days. After three days, you'll be safe because the men who are chasing you will come back. And so they go back and they go to Joshua and they say, look, Joshua, this is great. The Lord has given us this land. They are scared. And now we know that not only is God with us, but this land that we have promised, we get to possess. And here's the amazing thing about the story. And when you look at it, you begin to see something. That God is patient. That his grace assists. And when you look at the story of the surrounding nations, and when you look at the story of Rahab, Here's the one thing you get to see, and it is so clear. It's this, that grace delays in judgment, but delivers quickly. Delays in judgment, but grace delivers quickly. And how quick was God to deliver her from her mess and her muck and her mire? Because she placed her faith in the God of Israel. And when you think about this and you look at this, when you see the history of Israel and, and happen around the countries, you go, man, God's grace is amazing. And sometimes it seems like God's grace, he's so nice and he's, he's just a God who just loves you so much. You think sometimes it's a fairy tale. I mean, how can this be true? How can a God love us who are, we're so imperfect, so horrible, we sin day after day, we turn our backs on him, and yet he still loves us and he still takes us back and he still has grace and he sends mercy to us. And some of us, we just, we just kind of look at it and we just are dumbfounded. And you look at Rahab's story and how can a guy take someone who is in noticeably sin, a sinful life, and he has grace on her. And she gets something she doesn't deserve because she was a Canaanite, born and raised, and should have died like everyone else, but got a grace on her life because of her faith in the God of Israel. How amazing is that? And see, here's the thing. When you look at it and you look at the story of Rahab, you know what is true? Rahab's story is no different than mine and it's no different than yours. Rahab had a label. And her label was harlot. Her label was prostitute. And here's the thing about her. The citizens knew it. Her customers knew it. The people who walked outside her house knew it. And her parents knew it. They knew her label. But the thing about her was this, that God transformed her life by his grace. And God can transform your life by his grace. And here's the thing. For some of us, here's what I put. I put that all of us have been labeled. Because see, here's the thing with Rahab. Rahab did this. She was faced with, do I do a pagan God? And do I choose a pagan God in a pagan country? Or do I choose the God of Israel? And when she was faced with that difficult decision, do I... Am I loyal to my pagan countrymen or am I going to be loyal and put my faith and trust in the God of Israel? She places her faith in the God of Israel and her life is changed forever. And see, she has that label and for us, we are labeled. And for some of you, you know how I know this? is because you like to keep your label quiet. You don't want anyone to know your label, that you've been labeled something. And see, for some of you, when you tell your story, you omit some of your story because you're embarrassed. 
you admit some of your past because there's something that someone might label you with. And some of you, you have a label that you can't, it prevents you from approaching God. Now, here's the thing about Rahab. Rahab's past did not prevent her from receiving God's grace. Her past did not prevent her from receiving God's grace. Think about that for a second. She's a harlot. She is, is in this place, and she brings up her lifestyle. And her lifestyle's there, but think about the pact between the spies and her. It's not, hey, you're a harlot. No, what's the pact? Don't tell anybody. They don't care about her past. There's no, there's no clause. There's no prerequisite. Clean your life up, lady, and then you can put your faith in Jesus. There's no, there's no clause. There's no, nothing in the contract. When they had that a kindness agreement, it's like you just keep your mouth shut and the Lord will save you. We don't care what you've done. He doesn't care how messy you are. You've placed your faith in the living God. And so that is going to change your life. And so ultimately what begins to happen with her is her life begins to change. And see, her label did not, look it, because it wasn't a prerequisite, because it wasn't in that pact, her label didn't prevent her from coming to Jesus. Her label didn't prevent her from accepting God's grace. And the same is true of you. Your label does not prevent you from coming and receiving God's grace. Not at, not at all. Because God, believe me, wants to clean up your life and change you and change mine. And so we, we come to, to this place with Rahab. It started with faith. It started with relationship. And it, for Israelites, it started with relationship as well. God never has a set of rules before you come in a relationship with him. It's about faith. Just put your trust in me, and I'll take care of everything else. Right? And so Rahab is known as a harlot. God's grace changes her over a period of time because Rahab is not known as the harlot. Guess what she's known as? The great-great-grandmother of King David. The great-great-grandmother of King David. She's in the lineage of Jesus, the Savior of the world. A harlot. Talk about grace. Talk about undeserved grace. She doesn't deserve it. And yet she's the great-great-grandmother of David. And here's what you have to understand. God replaced her label. And she wasn't a harlot. She was now the great-great-grandmother of King David, one who had faith and not falsehood. And for some of you, God wants to do this. God wants to replace your label with his label. See, some of you, God wants to label you as accepted, forgiven, and a child. He doesn't want you to have that label that you're walking around with that you think that is preventing you from past. God wants to remove that label and say, this is who you are and this is who I see you as. I don't see Rahab the harlot. I see Rahab, a woman of faith and the great-great-grandmother of King David. That's who he sees. And so for some of you, you need to get to that place where you begin to accept what God wants to do in your life. Accept what he wants to do in your life and embrace the grace that he has for you. And I don't care how long you've known God. Some of you, your past is hindering you from being full-out effective for Jesus. And God wants to transform you. I don't care how long you've walked with Jesus. He wants to transform your life. He wants to peel that away from you. 
See, someone might know you something different, but God sees you what he sees, and he sees you differently, not as your past, but as your future. And so, beginning of this, you might not have a label today, or you might have to be the place where you need to accept your label, but some of you don't have a label, but some of you know somebody who does. Some of you know someone who does have a label, and they have a label. It's because you've experienced something with them. You've experienced what they've done, and so you see them in a different light. They've probably done something to you, and, and you've probably heard rumors about them, so you've formed your own opinion about them, and so you see them differently, and you've labeled them. If that is you, two things I want you to do. One is I want you to pray for that person. Here's why. Because I want you to release what only God can do. And God is the only one who can change hearts. You can't. So I want you to pray for that person that God would change their heart and God would change their life. The second thing I want you to do is this. I want you to begin to see them differently and I want you to see them through the lens of grace. I want you to see them the way God sees them. Because if you see the way God sees, you're going to respond the way God responds. See, when you see people in a different light, you'll begin to have grace on their life. You'll begin to see them the way he sees them. And you might just begin to see that label begin to be peeled off because he's starting to work on their hearts because you're praying for them. And then you'll respond with compassion and love and grace and mercy on their life. And something will begin to happen in their life. And they might just be the Rahab that gets transformed because you're praying and God's working just might happen. And so for some of you, there's some of you who are walking around a little bit differently too. And God's trying to get your attention. He's slow in judgment, and he's trying to get your attention. And for some of you, you're walking around doing what you want to do. And you're living a life that's not pleasing to him, and he knows it. And you're not fooling anybody and here's what God's saying. He's beginning to speak to you, and by his spirit, he's saying, okay, you need to change, you need to change. You're like, ah, yeah, 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 whatever. I like what I'm doing. So then you know what God does? He has even more grace on you. And there's somebody in your life that's speaking into your life, and they're telling you, you need to stop, you need to stop. And you're like, ah, no, 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 I don't need, no, I'm good. Stop interrupting me. God is trying to get your attention. Heed what he wants to do in your life. Heed the instruction. If God is sending you someone and they're telling you to stop doing something or say, hey, Lord, I really feel like you need da-da-da. Trust me, they probably have wisdom from God. And don't ignore the Holy Spirit either. This guy wants, he wants the best for you. That's why he's, he's giving you a chance. He's saying, hey, turn from your ways. I have something better for you. I have something better for you. And so begin to walk in that light. And finally, it's this. I don't know where you are today. Just as we come here today, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've been. I don't know your past. You don't know my past, but I do know this. That there's a God who loves you in heaven, who is gracious and merciful and wants to change your past and wants you to be effective for the kingdom of God. And he wants nothing to hold you back. And see, I don't know when it, ha- when it comes to Rahab, I have no idea when she felt different. I have no idea when she sensed something different in her life. I don't know, but I can guarantee you it happened. And it's because of the grace of God that transformed her life. Someone who undeservedly should not have ever gotten it. 
received it. And that's the, that's the message of, of God. That's the message of Jesus. We get what we don't deserve. And it's the grace of God that has, has saved us. It's the grace of God that removes us and transforms us. And so I don't know where you are today, but you need to accept and embrace what God wants to do in you. Clean up your mess. Clean up your label. Peel it off. Because His grace delivers quickly. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.